Welcome, everyone, to episode 11 of Launch and Learn, a show where we have lunch with entrepreneurs to learn from their experiences. Today, we have Adomas Baltagalvis on as a guest, the current CMO and co-founder of Eddie Travels. He's going to share about his experience working as a marketing freelancer for five years before joining an exciting new chatbot travel startup. Let's get into it. So, Adomas, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. So, the first question for you is... What did you have for lunch today? Today, it was a pretty nice lunch. I ate just in sitting near the office. I think it was ox cheeks and some uh, che- uh, chickpea soup. So yeah, it was pretty good. Interesting. So is that sort of a Lithuanian cuisine or? No, I think it's more of a, of a fusion. Yeah, okay. Okay. Ah, sounds good. So, you know, right now you're a CMO. A co-founder of a company as well as you've done plenty of freelancing and entrepreneurial things in your past before we jump into all that what was your sort of your first exposure to this you know to startups and also why um, you know why are you interested in, in the whole entrepreneurial journey uh sure so i would say it's been a very long road because i i am originally from lithuania and i went to study uh, to the uk mathematics and economics i was planning to become a financial you know, advisor or a banker or a investment banker, consultant or whatnot. Um, but I became very interested in marketing for my other activities. So after my studies, I did a traineeship, an internship in Lithuania, then a year-long in- a traineeship in India where I was working as a sales and marketing um, just manager. And from that, I started freelancing. I became much more involved in Facebook advertising. I started picking, picking up just larger and larger clients and maybe becoming uh, very specialized in one industry, which is crowdfunding. So I've been doing that for almost five years. Uh, I was living as a digital nomad for a long time, but afterwards I became a little bit maybe tired of that type of lifestyle. So I decided that I would be, I became much more interested in building something uh, far greater than I would be able to do alone. So after the freelancing, I decided, I started looking for different projects and just came uh, about that my friends had uh, just launched the startup Eddie Travels and they were looking for a marketing person. So um, I joined as a, as a co-founder and CMO. I saw on your like LinkedIn profile that you had a good interest in mathematics as a kid. Like you said, you were going to study finance and yeah. then you ended up in marketing, which is, you know, typically we think of marketing as you know, creating these beautiful ad campaigns and more like design creativity. But uh, yeah, you just were saying how you enjoy the math side of that. Tell me more about that. How did you get started in that in, in marketing? Yeah, exactly. So I always thought that marketing is for these uh, creative people that would uh, lock themselves in a dark room for 24 hours. Uh, they would brainstorm, they would generate these uh, magical, you know, ideas that will change everything. And like, that would be it. But when I was studying, I joined this Isaac organization and I started managing their Facebook page. And at the beginning, I was thinking that it will be super easy. You would just invite some friends, you know, share some content. People will start liking and sharing and commenting. And suddenly you'll get all of these results coming in and uh, nothing like that happened. So I became really uh, just obsessed about trying to figure out how everything works, how Uh, What are the best strategies for social media? How should I communicate? What should be the best times to post? Uh, What kind of messages, uh, post work? I was looking at all of these analytics on a Facebook page. 
and I became, yeah, that's kind of became my, my passion. So although I was still considering some ideas to maybe go into the financial world, but I was spending much more time learning about marketing outside of my studies uh, compared to mathematics. Um, and I moved slightly towards that uh, space. And in the end, I think it really worked out for me because with online marketing or online advertising, it's really in numbers based. So, uh, and even stepping back, I, I would say that it's a little bit more technical. The entire thing of se setting up campaigns, um, you have to do it step by step. You know, you have to know what is the best structure, how to test and optimize things. And I think I spend more time uh, looking at the other parts, analyzing things, than thinking about the creative side. So uh, that's what I really like about about that, uh, the job. Oh, very cool. And then going from that passion of marketing, how did you then go into the whole freelancing space? So you said you spent what five years in freelancing. You know, why did you go down that route, and uh, you know, how did you get started? Uh, yeah. So. When I was in my final year at university, I was still considering to go yeah, into finances in some way. I was even interested in maybe doing HR or learning and development. And I, I, was, uh, I passed for a lot of stages and I went to the final stage interview at Goldman Sachs uh, for an HR position uh, in London and I completely botched the assessment center. <laughs> so uh, it was maybe you know, a good thing because uh, somewhere around that time, I. I read the the Four Hours Work Week book by Tim Ferriss, and then uh, there was one article on his blog, which was called something about how to get anything or how to get, how was it, eight steps to getting what you want without formal credentials, and the person was talking about how you could build your you know your perfect career without getting a master's degree or PhD uh, just by building a personal platform, so I started my blog quite early and I started writing about uh, different marketing things. I decided that I want to get more experience in this marketing field. So I, I did a few internships and traineeships. And when I left for India, it was a great experience because I got to do a lot of things, everything from uh, setting up Facebook ads, Google ads, you know, doing email marketing, writing content and newsletters and all of that. But my trainee salary was quite low, so I decided that it would be a great thing to, you know, to supplement it with some additional freelancing gigs, and then after the traineeship, continue as a freelancer, uh, do more traveling, and hopefully, you know, uh, be traveling and working at the same time. I know a lot of people don't consider like, the, if they're freelancing, they don't always think of themselves as a business, but they really are. Yeah, and I know it's a very competitive market you know when you go on some of these uh, freelance websites to hire someone and there's you know hundreds of people looking to get these kind of gigs out there how did you set yourself apart what, what was your differentiation between yourself say and someone else who does some optimization at the very beginning at the very beginning there was none so uh, and that made things very very difficult because like you said you go to um, upwork or at that time it, it was called elance and you know you are going through pretty much every single job post that you can find, trying to apply and uh, get something. Um, and you're competing with those people that already have more experience working in agencies, or uh, they have even if it's one year more experience and they had ten jobs on uh, Elance, they'll get more uh, response from uh, you know from the companies. So what really helped me was that I already had my personal blog and I had this experience maybe that I was working the campaigns that I was setting up at that travel agency. So I was, when I was applying, I was really pitching, you know, uh, 
you know, you can read, uh, you can learn more about my experience on my blog. I outlined maybe the seven, eight steps uh, of my of my entire process. So how I would approach the campaign, how I would uh, set everything up, uh, help them optimize it. And that helped me get the first initial jobs. And uh, with them, it, it became increasingly more, you know, easier because you get uh, some reviews, uh, hopefully positive ones, and then it just continues building and building and building. But it definitely, definitely wasn't easy and it, it didn't come uh, very quickly. Mm. And as you mentioned, it came through that platform in the beginning, but did you also get, you know, uh, traction through word of mouth at some point as you got, you know, more customers and they talked to their friends or their partners or whatever? Uh, yeah, so I think it's, if you're considering to become a freelancer, uh, it's great if you already have, uh, you know, plenty of experience. Um, but I think you have to build this personal recognition or platform even before you want to become a freelancer. So uh, little things like having your own uh, blog, uh, your own blog or website, or at least uh, publishing articles on LinkedIn, uh, expanding your online virtual network uh, on LinkedIn and just trying to connect with people that might become your potential clients in the future. Um, also attending offline events, uh, you know, sharing val valuable content that would help uh, others. And by doing all, all of these things, slowly but gradually you become more recognized by, by your friends, by your peers, by your network, that you are the professional in that, in that uh, sphere. Um, and it becomes easier to get you know, additional clients. And for me, uh, one of the, <clears throat> probably the biggest breakthrough, <clears throat> sorry. So probably the biggest breakthrough came when I started working on uh, crowdfunding campaigns. And it was also quite lucky because I met uh, the guy at a quite a random festival in Lithuania uh, during the summer when he had a very small uh, online uh, shop um, and he was selling jewelry and we connected and we stayed in touch. And a year later, he launched a Kickstarter campaign for a new watch collection. So I tried to help him with my advertising campaigns. They didn't work, so they hired an agency which helped them scale the campaign to almost 1 million euros. But being on the side, I understood, I learned what were the best strategies for this particular niche. And then I don't know how that happened, but just two weeks later, I got an inquiry on my website from another watch company. They clicked on one of the Google ads that I was buying for Facebook consultations. They ordered you know, a consultation, we started chatting, and maybe on the second one, they said that they want to launch a Kickstarter campaign as well. And I helped them with that and we crushed it. We did over $1 million in sales in just 30 days. Okay. So uh, that was a huge boost because I used it as a, as a case study. I went on the uh, I went on podcasts. Um, I shared it, you know, with my within my own uh, circle network, and that became like this, you know, attraction for other companies that are looking for help on Kickstarter. And what are the main differences, you know, when you're running a Kickstarter campaign? What are what are some of the difference, like the changes you have to make in your marketing, I guess, to get that traction? So I, I would say it's, it's becoming increasingly uh, more difficult to get any kind of results on, on Kickstarter and many or in crowdfunding in general. Uh, many people don't, uh, don't realize how much investment is needed to launch a campaign. And when someone sees a campaign that did you know, $1 million, they might have put uh, you know, 20 or 30% of that on, uh, on advertising alone. Mm. And then you have to you know, produce everything, uh, manufacture everything and if it's your first campaign and if it's the first product that you're launching, um, it's, it's incredibly tough. But some uh, best case practices is definitely trying to build uh, this pre-launch list. 
So um, we always began by, you know, maybe four or six weeks in advance by running Facebook ads and trying to get leads. So uh, saying that we will launch very soon, sign up here to get the biggest discounts on the first days. And if you, you get, I know, you know, a few thousand or 10, 15,000 leads, you can nurture them, you can uh, get them excited about the product, about the company. And once the, the day of the launch comes, you're ready with, you know, with the initial boost of sales, if everything goes well. And that initial boost of sales can really help you because if you manage to get to the top of uh, Kickstarter's discovery pages by getting this influx uh, at the beginning, then you can uh, start getting a lot of organic sales as well. Um, so that will kind of, you know, just self-perpetuating the more sales you get, the higher you be, uh, move on uh, those pages and yeah, you can get more results. I'm just going to go back to your story. You're saying you, you know, you were a freelancer, kind of a digital nomad. And I think we, um, when you think of that, we think of some, you know, Instagram people who take these fancy pictures around the world and, uh, just travel the whole time. What are some of the difficulties that you found when you were traveling and working at the same time? Well, I did a fair share of the, uh, you know, Instagram posts uh, as well. So yeah, it's, you know, when you're traveling, you want to show uh, the best side of it. So I remember there was one time when I was in uh, Kuala Lumpur and my friend who was living there took me to this uh, like uh, amazing infinity pool, maybe 18th, 80th floor or something. Mm. Um, and you can see the twin towers of KL and I took my laptop, uh, you know, I sat next to the pool, he took a few photos and it looks amazing, although it's the worst experience because there was no internet, I was trying to connect via 3G, um, it was incredibly hot, but you know, you show this uh, magnificent, magnificent uh, side of uh, being a nomad. Yeah. On the other hand, so for me, maybe it was a little bit easier because I started traveling and living abroad quite early. So again, my studies in the UK. Um, I did a volunteering experience in Venezuela, then China, then a traineeship in India. So I had some experience of how it is to come to a new country and experience the culture shock and be alone and not know the language. Mm. And that can be in itself, that can be already quite challenging. And on top of that, if you're an, a beginner freelancer and you're trying to make money at the same time, if you don't have enough clients, sometimes you will have a lot of work and then suddenly some of the clients will disappear or some projects will finish or, you know, something else will happen and you will be for a month without any income. If you don't have any savings, that can be, you know, really just, uh, yeah, really frustrating and mentally difficult. So I think there are a lot of positive things, just being able to select the clients and the projects that you, you want to work with the liberty and the independence just the freedom to travel and live from anywhere i wouldn't change that for you know for anything but at the same time you have to understand that yes it will be quite difficult uh, you to make uh, new relationships for example and it will also be difficult because you will lose some of the old ones you know with friends that stayed at home while you are traveling um so yeah it's it's quite challenging it can be quite challenging both on the professional side and personal side You mentioned the ability to, you know, choose your clients. I mean, how was that like, you know, did you accept every single client that you got or do you have sort of a saying, okay, certain criteria to, you know, go on one project over another? No. So yeah, at the, at the very beginning when I was trying um, to make the most of my freelancing career, I was, I was, you know, not accepting, but they were choosing me. So uh, I would be lucky if someone chose me because they didn't have much experience. 
but later on, the more experience I received and the, the, the more results we got from my product and campaigns, for example, it became much easier because I could choose the clients that I wanted to work with. And in many cases, yes, it would be based um, on how much, whether they were first time uh, founders, you know, how much experience they had with the product. Uh, I think the biggest point, selection point was the quality of the product itself and wh whether I had the confidence that it would uh, uh, scale and go well. Um, because yes, when we are running Facebook ads, I knew that I could, if the product is converting and people are really genuinely excited about it, um, then we can really scale it. So with one product, we did over $5 million in sales in just 30 days. Um, but it would be impossible to do that if, you know, with any other product. So, um, so yes, trying to, to see if we have a good match with the, uh, with the person as well, because we would have to work together for probably almost three months. So if I don't get a good vibe and, you know, it just doesn't connect, um, then I would also try to, to pass that, that opportunity. No, makes sense. And actually, how does it work with the pricing in your case as a freelance as well? I mean, I guess in the beginning, you probably get a, a worse deal and as you get more experience, you can ask for more money. And yeah, also for kickstarting, I mean, is that based on commission or sort of a fixed salary? Uh, yes. So at the very beginning, I was I was usually getting paid, not even in crowdfunding, but as a freelance, I was paid by, by hours or some uh, small fixed fees based on, uh, you know, the setup and launch of the campaigns. And uh, when we moved to, to Kickstarter, uh, gradually I went to the commission base. So uh, it was the, the best model for everyone because, you know, they don't lose anything. The more sales I generate for the company, the better it is for them. But also uh, I'm really motivated to, you know, to, to do everything I can to boost, uh, boost the campaign. And I would say it's, uh, it's even just taking e-commerce in general, um, if there are any marketing professionals or agencies, e-commerce can be extremely lucrative if you find the strategies you know uh, to uh, to to scale the product um because yes if you get a deal where you're paid by uh, on sales and you get a commission then uh, you know it's just it can be a huge win for you and the company as well so you're a freelancer for five years was the, was there like a key turning point for you where you decided that you wanted to try something else or move back home? So one of the things was that crowdfunding uh, in general started changing and the effectiveness of those campaigns just started declining. So uh, the strategies that worked incredibly well in 2016, 17, that helped us scale these campaigns over, you know, uh, $1 million in sales, for example, they became less effective. So during that time, there was just a huge influx of new, uh, new products, new campaigns, people trying to copy one another, launch something similar, expecting the same results, but that, that didn't happen. But people started investing a lot on advertising and targeting the same audiences. Mm -hmm. Some of the campaigns would go, you know, they would uh, get delayed for over a year for delivering the, the products. Some of them went uh, bust. And I think for a lot of people, it just didn't, it was not for a lot of customers, it wasn't as novel enough and it wasn't worth it to spend, you know, to get $30 discounts for and wait for a product for one year or more. Mm -hmm. So all of that combined, I think, just made it much more difficult to get, uh, to get the results from, uh, from crowdfunding. So I was looking at that and I realized that I just, I didn't want to uh, maybe continue working with those type of campaigns. 
So, um, and on top of that, being a freelancer and working from one project to another project became uh, also a little bit, I wouldn't say demotivating, but it's also became a little bit tiring. So I decided that for the next five years, I really want to focus on some uh, building some kind of a, a project, a business that could, uh, uh, that could scale. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to do it by myself. So I, I started planning, maybe searching for some friends uh, that would join me. Uh, but it just so happened that, yeah, two of my friends had already launched Eddie Travels and they were looking for a marketing person. So it was uh, a perfect uh, match for me. What was the stage of the company when you joined? Uh, super, super early. Two of them, they started in August um, and I uh, joined them in mid-November. Okay. So uh, there was very extremely like super, super early days of, of the company. And what was the first version of your product? How did you guys start off? Yeah, so it was, um, it was really basic. So uh, just to explain what Eddie Travels is, we are building this AI travel assistant, like Siri or Alexa, but specifically for travel. And you can go on Messenger, WhatsApp, Telegram, or other popular chat apps. Uh, you can uh, find Eddie Travels and just ask for flights or hotels. And in a few seconds, we will source the best deals from Skyscanner and other partners. And yeah, help you find, you know, plan your, plan your trip. So when we initially launched, it was, we were using Viber because they allowed to set up a very simple chatbot uh, with spreadsheets. So you can imagine that it wasn't the most sophisticated travel assistant, but at least it, it proved the point. And we were able, they were able to go to some other friends uh, show uh, the concept, get some additional feedback, initial feedback, and then build up, uh, build on it. Later on, we launched uh, it on Messenger, and we, you know, really started working on this the language processing part of of the chatbot, the assistant, um, and we just continued uh, reiterating and making it uh, better. And how did you build sort of initial traction from a marketing perspective? So, yeah, at the very beginning, it was mostly word of mouth and anything uh, for free that we could do. So we organized a launch party. Uh, we invited a lot of our friends and, you know, we we're just going one by one and uh, onboarding everyone. At the same time, just inviting our friends to, uh, to, to check it out. Uh, we tested and we launched some uh, uh, campaigns on product hunts, you know, trying some different Facebook groups. And then, yeah, just doing everything that we can, trying all of the different channels that wouldn't be too expensive uh, to get those initial initial users. And why do you guys go for such a, let's say, low-cost approach in the beginning? Was that more to iterate and learn and, and improve the product or instead of just blasting on Facebook straight away? So at that time, we, we were funding everything by ourselves. So uh, when I joined, yeah, everything was uh, was found was funded by by us, uh, the co-founders. Um, later on, we got accepted into Texas Toronto, uh, accelerating Canada. Uh, we received some investments from uh, a few angels. So uh, we started experimenting with paid ads as well. But you know, at the very beginning, when you don't really need to get that much, maybe that many users to see uh, what works and what doesn't work. So we had a huge backlist. We already knew what were the, the main problems. Uh, we didn't have to bring a thousand people to, you know, to validate that we have those problems. So we could just gradually, slowly get some users, get more data, more feedback, and uh, uh, you know, improve those things. What was your revenue model? Are you do you just get a commission off like referrals to other services? Uh, yes. So uh, Skyscanner is our main partner right now. 
and <clears throat> we get we get uh, the flies, hotels, and uh, car rentals from them. So um, uh, we are paid based on the affiliate model, where we earn on every click or every visit that we generate for them. We have other partners as well, where we earn based on sales, but it's also yeah based on affiliates. And as you mentioned, you know. Um... In the beginning, you know, you needed funding, you did sort of the low cost approach. So at what point did you, let's say, turn on the key and starting, you know, going more scalable and getting more users and sort of what, uh, what strategies were you using to get to that point? Sure. So uh, uh, we launched in November or December 2018. Um, and we, we went maybe for a full year without finding a good model that would work for us. Um, but after some uh, testing and maybe some luck, we we found a good yeah we a good uh, a good model. So just to go maybe step back a little bit, we got accepted into uh, another startup program, an incubator in Dubai, uh, which was uh, led by GE, Emirates Group, and Dubai Tourism. So with them, uh, we built an integration with Emirates Airline, and uh, we are trying to see to find some ways how to promote those uh, flights, the Emirates flights. So uh, we started running a lot of different ad campaigns and we uh, found uh, good models with Facebook ads and Instagram ads. And uh, that opened up a lot of doors. So we had maybe 50,000 users in, in October of 2000, October 2019. And now we have close to uh, 3 million users already. So um, uh, yeah, because our main, so far the main chatbot is on Messenger and it's just, incredibly effective to take people from Facebook or Instagram. Um, in one, two clicks, they can open Messenger from the ad and they can trigger a flight search, they can get the results, they can click on them if they like it. And plus, uh, you know, people who love traveling, they are almost always on Instagram looking at these uh, inspirational photos. So uh, combine all of that, yeah, we, we found a good way to, uh, to scale AD travels. Like you said, you're part of the tech stars or accelerators in Toronto and Dubai. To kind of very different locations. <laughs> what were your main takeaways from those accelerators? Like, what did you guys learn the most? Uh, yeah, so Techstars, uh, Techstars Toronto Accelerator was, I think, on a bigger scale. There were 10 startups that were accepted uh, to the program, and we spent the three, almost four uh, months uh, living in Toronto as a team. So every single day there were some work uh, workshops or uh, meetings with mentors, potential investors, and it was quite uh, maybe a little bit challenging to balance everything uh, that business and well, the program together with the product development. Um, but the experience was amazing because Toronto has an amazing um, startup ecosystem. It's really close to uh, New York. So a lot of investors come in and they recognize uh, Toronto as a great hub. And so, yeah, a lot of chances to meet with uh, investors, uh, a lot of other startups that might be in a similar industry. Um, and you can learn from each other. You can connect with other professionals. Uh, there's a lot of talent as well. So that was great. Uh, regarding the other program, uh, the Interlac uh, Incubator, I didn't personally go there. Our CEO represented us in Dubai. The program itself was on a slightly smaller scale. So they selected just uh, four startups. Um, and it was because it was like an incubator and it was led by these uh, big uh, corporate companies. There was more of a focus on some, you know, building something together uh, with these companies, like uh, mm -hmm. focusing on some outcome. So for us, that was building an integration with uh, Emirates Airline. And you mentioned that uh, you know 
Bronto has a pretty good startup ecosystem. How is that in Lithuania, where the company is based? Uh, yeah, so our, our entire team is from Lithuania. That's where we are based right now. Uh, although our headquarters are in Canada and Toronto as well. Um, so we open a company uh, there. In Lithuania, we have um, the tech talent is, uh, is great. I think it's, yeah, we have uh, a lot of engineers, uh, software developers, other international companies are coming to Lithuania, you know, big banks, uh, big startups. Uh, we have Uber, we have uh, Revolut, uh, uh, who has an office in Lithuania. And it's, it, yeah, so finding talented developers is very easy. Plus the living, the cost of living are much lower compared to other countries, especially, you know, Canada, the US, or even, even more uh, the Silicon Valley. So for the, for the same amount of money that we raise, we can uh, get a much longer runway, uh, which is really, you know, valuable for a startup especially now with the coronavirus uh, going on even more. And what else? So Lithuania is uh, part of the uh, European Union. There are a lot of funds now that are looking for early stage invest, uh, early funds that are looking for early stage startups. Um, and there's a lot of uh, capital in the Baltic states. And even from other countries, they recognize Lithuania as uh, more and more as, uh, as a good place to, to build startups. So... Um, I think it will, it's becoming even easier to attract, uh, you know, investments from, uh, from Europe or even uh, the other side of the, uh, of the ocean. On the flip side, Lithuania is still very small. So, you know, when you have 3 million people, you do run into some problems when you have a very specific uh, needs for uh, an employee or, yeah, you need some very specific skills. Um, and the, the startup ecosystem is still quite young. So we didn't have that many, you know, huge international exits uh, like other companies. Now we are getting, like last year, we had we got our first uh, unicorn vintage in Lithuania, officially. And officially, we have Tessonet, which might be also a, a unicorn. So it's still it's still quite young, the the ecosystem. And I think in five ten years time, we'll have even even better results because. Uh, more and more people will be founding startups. There will be more and more exits, more experience, better contacts with investors and other companies. So I think it's really looking uh, very positive in the future. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting to see. Also, like, especially your neighbors like Estonia doing pretty well as well for a while now. And I think that part of, of Europe, I think we see a lot of things coming out from that part. Um, you mentioned regarding the impact of the COVID-19 I think that would also be really interesting to hear since you, you know, you are a travel app, you know, how did that impact you as well as, you know, how did you mitigate the, the impact from this crisis? Uh, yeah, so for, for us, everything is, is quite good. But of course, as all travel companies, we, we were affected, um, especially in spring a few, a few months back. Because at the moment, we are not doing bookings. Uh, we, we were not affected as badly as other travel companies who uh, suddenly found themselves in a huge, uh, you know, in, in huge problems um, when 95% of bookings, for example, disappear overnight. For us, because we, we, had a, we showed very, very high growth uh, results in December and January. So we, we raised a, an additional investment in December, 200,000 euros uh, on top of the Techstars investment and angel investors. So we raised 200,000 euros in December and we started showing great results in December and January, just growing uh, pretty much uh, doubling every single month our user base. 
So uh, very quickly, we decided to, uh, to you know, get an additional investment and our investors were very eager to support us. So uh, we started arranging that in January and February. And uh, in April, we raised an additional 600,000 euros investment. So with that, we, are, uh, we have a good runway for the next year. Uh, we expanded our team and we are developing more features that would help travelers during these times. So uh, just a few weeks back, we launched uh, a feature uh, together with this Canadian startup Citata where you can message any travels and you can ask about the uh, coronavirus status in any country in the world. It will show you the statistics. It will show you what's the risk level. We also want to expand uh, our accommodation offering because we realize that people will likely in the next year, they will likely take less flights, but they are planning more local trips. So uh, uh, local tourism uh, seems to be seems to, to grow and we want to adapt our product to, to fit those uh, travelers more. So, um, so yeah, coronavirus, uh, it definitely affected us, um, but not as badly as, uh, as uh, the other travel companies. And I think we just have a yeah, great opportunity to continue developing our products and then uh, come, come out even stronger in you know, six, 12 months uh, with everyday travels. You kind of hinted at this with your answer, but uh, I was going to talk about keep talking about the travel industry kind of moving forward. I just kind of read today how um, maybe it was yesterday the French government is going to start restricting um, short-term flights uh, to save on the carbon emissions, and I think you're, we're going to see maybe some more governments stepping into the travel industry to regulate some of that. Um, where do you see the travel industry going in the future, and kind of how do you see your product fitting in there? Um, so the, the next few years might be, well, probably they will be some of the most challenging ones in the travel industry, uh, just because there's still a lot of uncertainty, what will happen with coronavirus, will we get a second uh, wave in the Americas, uh, in South America, there's the cases are going, growing exponentially right now, um, in some of the Southeast Asian or Asian countries as well. So, um. It's likely that the, the number of flight searches or flight bookings will decline. Um, but at the same time, people will not stop traveling. So whether the traveling will be more local or they will be, they will be using uh, other types of uh, travel, you know, it will still exist. And at the same time, if we look at some maybe uh, longer term trends, the travel planning experience is still really uh, painful and especially on mobile devices. So if you open a phone and you have to go through 10 different websites, multiple tabs, different apps, you know, on, on a phone to, to plan the trip fully and to book everything, it's uh, quite challenging. So um, people are really looking to get, uh, to get more personalization, more personalized offers uh, for travel. And I think that trend will be just growing in, in the next few years. So uh, we think that we are very well positioned to help in all of these areas, just provide a more personalized experience and uh, make the travel planning experience more natural and easier and connect more, more services and products in one place uh, so that you don't have to go through 10 websites, but you can all, you can plan everything and book uh, with Eddie Travels. Yeah, so talk a bit more about that. What, what are you most excited about right now that your team's working on and, and uh, yeah, what, what keeps you motivated for, for what you guys are doing at Eddie Travels? Uh, for me personally, the, 
one of the biggest motivations is just knowing that I can contribute to the team and to the company. So uh, because I had all of the experience with uh, social media ads and digital marketing, I can bring all of that and uh, just yeah, help Eddie Travels grow. Um, but at the same time, when I was traveling and living as a digital moment, I became really frustrated and uh, frustrated with the travel planning experience. So I would have to spend you know, a few days uh, most of the time trying to arrange all of my flights, hotels, and local transportation. And in many countries where you might not be able, people might not even have uh, desktop computers, for example, and they do everything on phone. Um, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really difficult. So um, I really hope that, uh, well, the goal is to build Eddie Travels and make it a go-to solution for people who are trying to book travel on, uh, on mobile and help them optimize their costs, make it uh, less frustrating, much more effective. And the travel industry is huge. So uh, if everything, is go everything goes well, then we can affect uh, you know, millions, hundreds of millions of people uh, with this technology. Yeah, coming up to the end here, now that you have this experience, you know, kind of in, in ads and marketing, what would you share with someone who's just getting started off as a marketing for the first time, uh, in marketing for the first time? What would you, what advice would you give them? I would suggest to, to, to pick uh, some niche industry and channel and uh, try to become uh, the best uh, professional in there. Uh, because as if, if you want to be a freelancer, especially having a niche, picking a niche can be extremely valuable. So mm -hmm. you build an, a better network, uh, you get more experience, uh, you can start building these processes and systems. They can then easily or more easily replicate to the clients. And by doing that, uh, you can always uh, iterate, you can make them better, you can get more results for the clients and ultimately, you know, you can build a better experience for yourself well, a better business for yourself and, and others. So when I'm talking to any of my friends who are considering to become a freelancer, this is the num number one thing. Just pick um, you know, uh, an industry and a niche within it and uh, the advertising or marketing uh, channels that you want to be, uh, that you can really own. Um, and with that, I think it becomes just extremely much, much easier to uh, get results. You're quite the Facebook specialist. Talking about niches, do you see sort of any um, upcoming niches that would be interesting for you if you sort of started out as a freelancer again? Well, right now I would say everyone is uh, speaking about TikTok. So it exploded over the past one year and I haven't tested their advertising platform yet, but it's also on the to-do list uh, this year. I think because they, because they have so many users right now, it's uh, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting uh, experience. So, if if anyone is trying to test it out, um, or if anyone is uh, starting out, companies have no idea how to manage TikTok, how to grow their presence on TikTok, how to engage influencers on TikTok, how to run ad campaigns there. So, uh, if you can, you know, really dig into it, uh, spend three, six months trying to learn everything that you can and get uh, hopefully some additional feedback and, and results. Um, I think you can really kick, uh, kick side your career uh, because right now there are really not that many professionals. The platform is just so young that there's, uh, yeah, you, you don't know what works and uh, you have no idea how to get uh, the most out of it. It's good, go where the traffic is. Yeah. I yes. Agree. Cool. Did you bring a quote with you to share with our listeners today? 
yes, and it's a very cheesy one, but the quote is, travel is the only thing you buy that makes you return. So I think it's uh, looking at back at my experience of uh, doing all of these volunteering experiences and trainingships and then living as a digital, digital nomad. Um, I think some of my biggest personal development experiences came from just traveling. And you don't have to do anything. You just land in a new country and you're immediately hit with all of these new experiences, new problems, and whether you want it or not, but you are forced to grow. So, um, so yeah, um, I think this is the one. Thanks so much. And thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, how can our listeners connect with you online? Uh, so yeah, uh, feel free to say hello on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Adamas uh, B, uh, or find me on LinkedIn, Adamas Baltagados. I'm sure nobody would be able to sp spell that last name, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. we have in, the, in the podcast description and the title, like they will be able to find you from that. Great. Sure. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed it. Our captivating theme song is The Vendetta by Stefan Kartenberg. If you want to connect with us or send a guest recommendation, drop us a line at launch.learn at gmail.com or connect with Matthias or myself on LinkedIn. Have a great one and see you next time on Launch and Learn.